You're listening to the podcast Water X Future, presented by Aquaporin, a water technology company based in Denmark. Aquaporin works to preserve one of our most valuable resources, water, by combining advanced bioengineering, open innovation, and circular thinking. In this podcast, we talk to experts about water and all the opportunities and dilemmas it contains, technologies rooted in nature, the purpose of innovation, and the spectrum between science and humans. Welcome. Hi, I'm Ono Sullivan, your host, and the person conducting the interviews is Meta Milgard Henriksen. In the last episode, we shared some of our highlights at the International Water Association Congress and Exhibition, the global event for water professionals which took place in September at Bella Center Copenhagen in Denmark. A live water tasting presented by water sommelier and technologist from fine liquids Milan Patel at Bella Center Copenhagen and a panel discussion at Copenhagen-based cinema Empire Bio, which was organized by Aquaporn. In the panel were Lisbeth Klusen, professor in toxicology at University of Copenhagen, Paul O'Callaghan, CEO and founder of Bluetech Research, and Peter Homiensen, chief innovation officer and founder at Aquaporn. In this episode, we'll talk about art. We'll talk to the Danish artist Karl Troel Sandegar about his exhibition, The High Seas of Your Intrinsic Ocean, a series of large, mutable jelly sculptures. In connection with the IWA Water World Congress and Exhibition, Copenhagen Contemporary and Aquaporn are working together to engage the public in the current global debate and highlight the essential nature of water. This partnership is embodied in the high seas of your intrinsic ocean, which will not only be shown at Copenhagen Contemporary, but also at Aquaporn's headquarters. The High Seas of Your Intrinsic Ocean This is the title of Karl Troll Sandegar's new art exhibition. The Danish artist has a profound interest in the potential of water. So far, he has worked with its three most familiar states, solid, liquid and gas. Now, the high seas of your intrinsic ocean unfolds his fascination with the more mysterious nature of water, its fourth state, the jelly-like plasma that is created when water is absorbed by a human or plant body. The exhibition consists of a series of large, mutable jelly sculptures. All are cast on site in different sizes. The singular materiality of the sculptures is created by mixing a gelling agent into hot water, causing the water to gel as it cools. The result is an organic jelly that is tantalizing in its sensuous mutability like a living, mysterious body. Karl Troll Sandegar is often using his own body as a jumping-off point. He investigates the physical and tactile aspects of the world to illuminate the complexity and mutability of our surroundings. And the link between art and science is a reoccurring interest in Sandegar's practice. Maybe you remember that we in episode 7, When Science Meets Art, also talked about art in regards to water. We visited Konstell Schlattenbo in Copenhagen to talk to Adam Bankard, who is Associate Professor in Medical Humanities at Medical Museion about the exhibition The World is in You. But back to this episode. We've asked Karl Troll Sandegar to tell us what his exhibition is about and why he has such a profound interest in the potential of water. Hi Karl. First of all, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. Will you start by introducing yourself? 
Well, I'm Carl Thorn Sandegård, and uh, I'm an artist. Uh, I'm living in Denmark. Yeah, I'm an artist who's working primarily uh, with sculpture or three-dimensional shapes related to thoughts and concepts. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about art, and we already did that in an earlier episode, also in regards to water. Can you tell us what your current exhibition, The High Seas of Your Intrinsic Ocean, is all about? I would try. Well, the project is sort of uh, emerging out of an interest uh, from the last two decades from uh, of me concerning water uh, and concerning the relationship between sort of like my presence or my body and the surroundings, um, which often takes shapes in liquid or humid humidity um, relationships. And uh, this project is the first project where I'm trying to dive under the skin and sort of investigate thoughts about the liquid world underneath the skin or the surface, both in uh, human bodies, but also in the plant bodies, because it's so fascinating that water is it's very special beyond the borders um, and the barriers and the membranes. So this project is sort of an analog or an attempt to describe this substance uh, which the water is transformed into. Yeah, in the moment you drink the water, it sort of shape shifts itself from a liquid state into a more, it's hard to describe and it's very much about the the way you understand the words but some call it uh, like a gel structure or plasmatic structure it's sort of like not not water as a running liquid as we know it because uh, the water is sort of hold inside the cell so so the works you can see uh, around town at uh, aquaporin's headquarters and copenhagen contemporary is huge um, shapes made of uh, a gelatin agent uh, from a seaweed and it's called caragin and kappa so the 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 way you the way you 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 experience the work is these giant geometrical shapes uh, which all have different colors and different kind of um, transparencies yeah that's more like like the physical uh, expression of the work and the title uh, the high seas of your intrinsic ocean is is sort of a, a mix of um, terms from different worlds the first half of this, the title is high seas uh, which um, describes areas in the ocean uh, where no national laws are ruling so it's so, sort of like an abandoned place uh, or a place which is sort of like yeah it's the wild west in a way and there are so many very interesting and mysterious phenomenons about the water inside us and the water in this world uh so it's yeah it's the title is sort of relating this thought of okay we have a water inside of us and we have a water uh, outside of the body but there are so many unanswered relationships and phenomenons um, which is almost like a lawless place and then it also relates to the fact that my body is 
very much a part of the bigger body of waters around me and the waters that has been on this green planet for quite a long time. Yeah. It can be quite abstract to talk about art in a podcast. I think it would, um, of course, make a lot of sense if our listeners actually went to see the exhibition and to see these jelly sculptures by themselves. These jelly sculptures, they are part of your long-standing exploration of water. But why are you so interested in water? I think it's difficult to to say precisely why. Uh, it's water that has sort of been my main interest during the last 20 years. Um, but I think the the thing that 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 always have interested uh, me the most is actually thoughts about my presence in this world or my body sort of like place in the world and how my being if you could use that word uh, is sort of relating to the things around me and how the things around me is sort of relating to me so it's a continually dialogue between my sort of like focal point or body and the things around me That's where water is very present. So my first 10 years, I was very much working in the in the architecture and trying to describe how inside the architecture there is water. Uh, I mean, in the air and in architecture and I mean, in the sea and all around us. Uh, water is sort of uh, a place where uh, which carry a lot of information. Uh, so the water is sort of like a suitcase uh, with information or memories of the materials around it. So if you are in a in a room full of wooden structures and uh, a smelly um, bin, uh, then these things would be in the air and thereby also be in the water or the humidity. So, so as I was building up different kind of sculptures, which was sort of like uh, grabbing the humidity. I mean, to be very fair and precise, I was building giant cooling systems uh, where the humidity would grow a ice landscape on the surface of a museum in Copenhagen or in Denmark. Uh, and this ice landscape built up by the humidity. That happens everywhere where you have an open freezer. It builds up a big giant ice block. But the idea is to relate to why this ice is sort of like building up. It's because of the humidity. And when you are entering the exhibition space, you are sort of like also participating in the, the production of the humidity in the air. So you will actually crystallize. I mean, the breath of you will sort of crystallize on the surface of the museum and thereby be a part of this project. I built different kind of sculptures relating to this thought of trying to capture uh, the the traces of the surroundings. And the last 10 years, I have been very much focused on on sort of like the scale of my body. And the sculptures I've been making has been more or less mirroring my body. So I've made some self-portrait, which was one of them is a self-portrait portrait made of uh, perspiration and respiration so it's like a sculpture or it's actually a, a thing that's hanging on on the wall 
but it's uh, it's a thing made of liquid, uh, which is uh, similar to my sweat. So I've been sending my sweat to a laboratory, and then the laboratory is analyzing this liquid, and then they are reproducing big containers of this liquid, uh, which is, I mean, it's not my sweat, but it's a it's it's a similar. <laughs> uh, uh liquid uh, and then i'm using this liquid to 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 make sort of like uh, well i'm just dripping it on the metal sheet and then this liquid is uh, evaporating and then it leaves out the the minerals and the salts from this uh, liquid and then it creates this kind of crystalline landscape which is you could say it's me but it doesn't really look like me but it's it relates to the same physical yeah, traces of my body in a little bit abstract manner. <laughs> um, and then now I'm standing uh, on a new, how you say, uh, level because I'm I'm trying to get get down under the skin now. And uh, and this project, as you see, on CC or Copenhagen Contemporary and uh, and in the Aquaporins headquarters, is sort of the first step of trying to deal with with water once more. Now you mentioned that these jelly sculptures can be seen at the headquarter of Aquaporin. Why are you collaborating with Aquaporin? Well, I think Aquaporin is a very interesting company, first of all, and they have a lot of knowledge uh, in in the world of waters. Yeah, and I have been having a lot of discussions with uh, Peter during mm, the last few years, and, and then this project came up and uh, and it was... Uh, yeah, it was a, it was very interesting to 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 build a stronger re- relationship between Aquaporin and for me. The reason why I ask is also like we talked about when art meets science before in a former episode. But why does it make sense that your exhibition, for example, is is there? What does it bring to the company or the people working there? Well, I can't say what it brings to Aquaporin. I can say what it brings to me. <laughs> well, I mean. I think it's very important to not to be so I'm not afraid of of presenting my art projects in in spaces which is not the classical way to experience art um I mean in the white cube I think it's very interesting to present my project in in areas where there are different kind of approaches or thought patterns in in, in, in I don't know relationship to in industry or whatever um, but of course it's I think it's I find it very interesting to to work with with a company like Aquaporin because uh, I mean we have so many interests in common but the outcome is is definitely not the same but but it's 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 also um, I mean a place where maybe they will influence me uh, or inspire me by ways of, of dealing with, I mean, questions, but hopefully also my way of dealing with problems or uh, questions will, uh, I mean, bring something to, yeah, the way they think about water. And uh, it's, I think it's very bold to be a company uh, and invite the art in as as not as a, only a decorative uh, feature, but also a feature that sort of should open up new thought forms. Because I think we have we have a lot, lot to, to give to each other in, in ways of thinking. I think it's very important. What do you hope that people will get out of visiting the exhibition? 
I really feel that this project that I'm exhibiting right now is is the first step of of a new series of works. So that's why it's also very difficult for me maybe to be very precise what it should be or how it should be sort of approached by the visitor. But the thing that that I really hope is that the, those who will see this, the sculptures will have a like a experience that okay there is something here and we don't know what it is and it's it's more than you see because um, it's for me it's very important that it not only is a very minimal or minimalistic sculpture it's a process i mean the sculpture is moving they are not standing still they are slowly evaporating uh, and they are slowly uh, they are slowly moving towards the sea again they are just hold in this very awkward position like in the position of of a cube or a, a cylinder and um, the water really wants to go away <laughs> so so uh, you will see the water on this this uh, road uh, of transformation and hopefully the visitor would also maybe go further and uh, uh, elaborate of about the title which will maybe give them some ideas of how i think about the project you should go and see <laughs> You should go and see. Let's that be uh, the last comment um, of this interview. Thank you, Carl, so much for your time. So, yes, it's quite complicated to talk about an art exhibition in a podcast. The best way to experience it is, of course, go see it for yourself. But not only art can be complex, water can as well. I think we've demonstrated this in the 17 episodes we've produced for WaterX Future, presented by Aquaporn Podcasts so far. We've talked about everything from access to water, plastic pollution, wastewater, biomimicry, the taste of water, science meeting art, water in space, open innovation, cathedral thinking, Singapore as a global water hub, water stress in Africa, Danish water ambassadors, Technologies in the food and beverage industry, Aquaporn being a listed company, the PFAS problem, and sharing highlights from the experience of the year in the water industry, the IWA World Water Congress and Exhibition. In the rest of this episode, we'll try to recap some of our favorite interviews with the many inspiring people we've had the pleasure to talk to during our first season. Why does one in three not have access to safe drinking water when 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water? This was the question we asked in the first episode. 1% of planet Earth's water is safe to drink. In this episode, experts from Aquaporn and State of Green introduced you to the clean water crisis, but also the innovative solutions to it. We asked Melina Beang Beisel, project manager at State of Green, with 71% of the Earth's surface covered by water, how can accessing clean water be such a big problem? It's a funny question because, uh, yeah, 70% of the world is covered in water. But what, but when you look into uh, what is actually available for us to use for drinking water, it's, uh, it's only 3% that is actually fresh water quality, as we call it. And out of that 3%, 
it's closer to uh, 1% that's actually fit for human consumption. That's due to, um, well, a lot of it being salt water that's covered the earth. So um, that's difficult for us to drink and very, very expensive and energy intensive for us to clean. But we also have uh, processes, industrial processes around the world that has polluted uh, some of our freshwater resources. So so the state of the union, or how do you say, the state of the of the water world is really that it's uh, it's one percent that's that's available and fit for human consumption. And then we can sort of think to ourselves, why why is this a problem? We still have one percent that's ready available for consumption, more or less. But we're also seeing a rising in population, and and that requires rising in 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 production, industrial and agricultural production, both uh, demanding clean water. Clean water is. It's necessary for us to ensure uh, human health. It's uh, necessary for us to ensure health of economies and nations. We see an increase in, in what's referred to uh, climate displacement or water refugees, uh, where people are in motion simply um, fleeing uh, areas where water scarcity is, is so high that the, that the availability is next to nothing. That's due to, uh, for example, climate change. We see... Uh, a decrease uh, in readily available sort of uh, freshwater resources, glaciers, rivers, lakes are are highly affected by by climate change. So so all in all, uh, our our freshwater resources is, is somehow uh, threatened and and decreasing with climate change. And at the same time, we live in a world where population and demand for water is increasing. So it's an um, important uh, question and a challenge that we of course need to meet. It's clear that water scarcity is a threat to the human population, but luckily there are inspiring initiatives to solve this challenge. Aquaporn, for example, have developed a nature-based technology to filter water. Inspired by nature, Aquaporn uses biomimicry to contribute to a more sustainable future in water treatment. This we talked about in the fourth and fifth episodes. Why biomimicry is the future. We talked to, and what an honour, Peter Agra who told us the story of how he came to win the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 2003 for his groundbreaking discovery of the aquaporin protein, a discovery which is crucial in the work of aquaporin today. Well, it was not a simple discovery, but it clearly was a discovery because we were searching for the basis of the red blood cell rhesus antigen, Rh-positive red cells, Rh-negative red cells. These are very important because Rh-negative women during pregnancy become sensitized. And the nature of the antigen itself is unknown, so that was our task. And we purified the protein, and a contaminating protein came along. It took us a while to recognize it. So we first were faced with a contaminant, which is troubling our preparations for Rh. I guess the artistic side of this is we didn't just abandon the contaminant. We looked at it a little bit and found it to actually be very interesting. It didn't stain with typical protein stains, meaning no one had seen it before, 28-kilodalton protein in red cell membranes. And we developed a technique to purify the contaminant. It turned out it was extremely abundant. It would be about like driving somewhere out in Utland and coming across a city of 250,000 people. It's not on the map gets your attention. But it took us quite a while to figure out what it did, because the protein didn't have any signals to tell us what it did, but it was related to some proteins from very strange places. Lens of eye, 
grains of insects, tissues in plants, and microorganisms. So what do they have in common? It wasn't obvious to me. Every year on our family vacation, go to a, on a camping trip. And after doing this a few years, we had, my wife asked them where they would like to go next year in which park. And they said, Disney World. It's not a national park. But it's in Florida where the Everglades are. So we went to the Everglades. We went to Disney World. And on the way back to Baltimore, it's a very long drive, about 1,500 kilometers. Spent the night in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. That overnight visit, I, I stopped to see some of my friends that were at the University of North Carolina and at Duke University. And in my conversation with one, my hematology professor, John Parker, when I told him about this new protein, it seemed to be present in red cells, renal tubules, and related to proteins and tissues of plants. John was an expert membrane physiologist, in addition to being an expert hematologist. And it was he that put it together. He said, Peter, have you considered this might be the long-sought water channel? Physiologists have been searching for for a century. I had never heard of the water channel hypothesis, so I was totally ignorant. So that, in the end, is the story of how the aquaporin one was discovered. We also talked to Susan Hawkfield, neuroscientist and former MIT president, about her book, The Age of Living Machines, How Biology Will Build the Next Technology Revolution. In one of the chapters... She writes about how Aquaporin's technology will help meet the world's growing demand for clean water. We asked her, why is this important to include? I tried to focus on some of the most pressing technological demands of the 21st century, and certainly clean water is among them. But to my mind, Aquaporin, the company, the technologies they're building with the parts of living machines are just a fantastic example of a different way of thinking about how to build technologies today. So let me describe that a little bit more. So uh, when I was visiting Aquapor and I was talking to Peter Olmjensen, the founder of the company, or one of the founders of the company, and he said something that became for me kind of the basic theme of the book. He says, you know, we could bust our brains trying to figure out a new way to filter water, how to build new water filters, how to create new filtering processes out of chemistry or physics. He said, but we don't need to do that. We can use nature's genius. So nature has already figured out a brilliantly efficient and effective way to filter water. All of the cells in our body, frankly, all the cells in all living things, use an aquaporin, a particular kind of protein, to filter water and only water in and out of our cells. That passage of water in and out of our cells is one of the fundamental necessities of life. Our cells have to balance the water in the cell from out of the cell. If too much water comes in, obviously the cell will explode. If not enough water comes in, the cell can't do its job. These proteins were identified in a quite remarkable set of experiments by Peter Agre, who won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for this discovery. It's a fantastic discovery. Aquaporin uses this biological machine from cells, makes a zillion copies of these proteins, and incorporates those proteins from living cells into sheets of filter that are then incredibly effective at being able to filter water. And you know, We understand a lot about the structure of the aquaporin protein, but in a sense, you hardly even have to know what the structure is. You just adopt 
the biological machine that filters water for our cells into the process, into a structure that incorporates those proteins into filter filters for purifying water in any number of applications. As Susan Hawkfield mentions, Aquaporn, the company, not the protein, has been inspired by nature to develop water filters to meet the growing demand for clean drinking water. This will take time, but it's an example of cathedral thinking, a concept we dove into in episode 10, Can Cathedral Thinking Solve Climate Change? In this episode, we asked Kimberly Nicholas, sustainability scientist at Lund University, about access to clean drinking water, a scarce resource all over the world. Water and climate are very much linked. Um, I think some of the parallels that come to mind are how (laughs) recognizing we live on a finite planet. We have limited amount of resources available to us and we need to use and steward them well so that everyone alive today has their needs met and also so that future generations are able to meet their needs. So we're not uh, limiting the possibilities for people in the future to have a good life. So that's true with climate and and stopping carbon pollution. That's true with water taking care of that resource. I think like climate, there's both supply and demand that we need to think about. Um, Similar to energy, water is wasted a great deal right now, and there's a lot of potential to reduce our water use and get the same services. Same with energy. We have a lot of efficiency improvements we can make. And then Again, the same with climate, we can look at, okay, where is our water supply? How can we handle this from a holistic perspective, working with nature instead of against it? Securing clean drinking water is Aquaporin's cathedral, because we might have clean drinking water today, but that is not a sure thing for everyone in the future. So what can we do to try and help future generations? How can we preserve the planet's most vulnerable resource, water? Well, this is exactly what Aquaporn aims to figure out. But Aquaporn is not the only company which is inspiring for its innovative approach to sustainability. In episode 15, How Will Emerging Technologies Reshape the Food and Beverage Industry? We talked to Nomi Mickelson, marketing coordinator at Café Bueno, about the exciting story behind the Copenhagen-based startup, which is upcycling used coffee grounds. First of all, yeah, spent coffee grounds, uh, well, coffee grounds in general and coffee byproducts are a very valuable resource or raw. Um, but currently it is a fact that we're massively wasting that resource. Um, so if I take it way back, first of all, coffee is a plant and this plant is filled with antioxidants, essential fatty acids, sugars, proteins, and a lot of other health promoting compounds. Um, and when we brew a cup of coffee, we only get 1% of those compounds and those benefits. So we're actually throwing away uh, these 99% that are left over of health benefits into the trash, which is obviously a huge shame. But other than just that, when we throw it out in, in the bin, um, it goes to uh, landfills where it ends up generating 340 cubic meters of methane per ton of coffee. Um, And also right now, there's over 9 billion tons of coffee traded annually. So you can kind of imagine the quantities and like how much methane uh, is polluting the world out there due to this. Um, But at Cafe Bueno, we obviously try to to take that coffee, upcycle it and break it down um, into its like molecular building blocks. And then we use those building blocks to produce ingredients. And mostly we try to produce it for the industries that are working with health um, and well-being. So that's personal care, nutraceuticals, 
food and beverage. We've learned so much about all aspects of water and it has reminded us of how vulnerable water is and why we need to have more respect for it. We hope our episodes have made you reflect on your relationship to water and made you respect it even more. In now 18 episodes, we have dove into matters that are close to our hearts. Water and all the opportunities and dilemmas it contains. Technologies rooted in nature, the purpose of innovation, and the spectrum between science and humans. Not only to focus on the challenges, but also the solutions. In particular, this has been a crucial aspect of the podcast. The aim has been to be constructive, and we find it important to share some of these inspiring, innovative initiatives throughout the world, be it in Denmark, Singapore, Africa, the US, or Rome, or even in space. This was the 18th episode of the podcast series Water X Future, presented by Aquaporn. In this episode, we talked to Carl's Troll Sandagar about his art exhibition, The High Seas of Your Intrinsic Ocean. We've also reflected on what we've learned so far producing this podcast. This has been the first season of the podcast Water X Future. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in.